Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, and joining me today is David Bugle, and from thebigkickoff.com, it's Peter Moore. It's been a while since the Merseyside clubs occupied both first and second place in the top division. There was a few incidents in this game, and we'll go through <laughs> we'll go through them in a moment. But both teams fielded strong teams, and in general, how do you think Everton compared to the champions? Um, yeah, it was a big game. Yeah, take a, a, a general overview, take all the other bits and pieces out of it for a second. It was a big game for both clubs. Um, obviously, Liverpool needs to come back with a massive response after the shambles against Villa. And then it's a great test for Everton to see what they're like up against the best. So it was a, ba- it was a big game for both. Who, who, who's more important for us? A different, it's a matter of opinion. But um, Liverpool came out strong, which was to be expected because they needed to come up with some answer. Like I said a few times this week, the barometer for um, teams personally nowadays is the likes of your United of the 90s and 2000s where, you know, whenever United lost at that time, you kind of looked at the fixtures and, and, and looked at who uh, were they playing next because you'd feel sorry for them because you know they're going to be in for a world of pain. And I was hoping there was a bit of an answer like that from Liverpool. And certainly within the first 15, 20 minutes, it looked that way. But once Everton weathered that storm, they were very much more than capable and more than a match for Liverpool after that and very much tit for tat. And obviously what happened in the in the last minute of the game or whatever is irrelevant. They're after getting a, a credible draw and the draw they can be they didn't rob it, they didn't nick it, they were more than they were more than in the game and, and, and could have gone the other way it could have gone their way as well. So uh, as a first, I know they had uh, Spurs in the very first game of the season, but no one knew where Everton were going to be. So in relation to their current form, and this is their first big test, um, you definitely give Everton a thumbs up. Uh, as I said, for the last 70 minutes of the game, they were more than a match for um, for Liverpool. Peter, the game finished 2 all, and Liverpool dropped another two points in their bid to reclaim the title. But the biggest blow of all is the injury to Virgil van Dijk. Well, yeah, as you say, I mean... Uh, that's one player that obviously Liverpool uh, understandably so wouldn't want to lose. I mean, the question now, I think more than any, how long is he going to be out for? I mean, is it going to be the rest of the season? Is it going to be beyond that? Obviously, time will tell in relation to that. It, it, it's a massive blow, understandably so. I mean, you know, to, to you to lose somebody who's the rock of that defence by far and away, um, it, it's it's going to be a massive blow for, I think, Liverpool's chances of even maintaining. Uh, the, the title. Although, having said that, um, yes, I know people are saying, well, Liverpool are not going to be the same defensively without uh, uh, Virgil van Dijk. But then, you know, go back to the start after restart. Liverpool were still conceding goals, remember, even with van Dijk in the side. And also, to be fair, at the start of this new season as well, um, you know, they haven't looked the side defensively that's been as good as, as, as they were at the start of uh, last season, no. But in particular, you know, going back to the start of this season, as I say, even with Van Dijk in that side, um, they've still been shipping goals week in, week out. They haven't kept many clean sheets either as well. But having said that, yeah, I mean, you know, to, to lose a guy like that, who is a, is an inspiration for Liverpool, both on and off the field, it has to be said as well, it, it is going to be a, a huge blow for them as well, yeah. Dave, can Liverpool cope without them? Uh, oh, as a fan, you'd have to say yes, but this year, we, yeah, oh, uh, in relation to the fact the signs are he's going to be out for the year, so say we were favourites before the weekend, uh, I wouldn't complain if all of a sudden we're second favourites potentially to City if obviously people still feel City are, are, um, are, are up there with them. So I think Liverpool will be in, in the race, but we're, it's, whatever advantages we had, I think we could you could definitely take uh, most of them. And what you have to remember is as well, Alisson's out till the end of November by all accounts with a shoulder injury. So you've got two of the main spine of that back four uh so not only that is is, is the defence now brittle, they now don't have the talisman in between the sticks as well either for the next six weeks. And, and with Champions League coming now, it's a very busy uh, fixture schedule. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's how they answer the, the the next few weeks, really. If they can get a bit of momentum going, yeah, why not? But it, it's, a, it's a tough task without 
the big talent because he's an intimidating figure as well to other teams you have to remember not just the fact that he's a good defender like he does like guys do look up and kind of go oh yeah I'm in for it today you know so it's a it's a big plus for other teams to come up against Liverpool because as, as Peter said with the leaking goals this year and now the fact that he's missing some some teams are definitely going to be rubbing their hands and, and looking forward to playing Liverpool Could Fabinho uh, fit into that back four then and let Wijnaldum into the midfield and yeah. shore things up because he's kind of the stature and and sort of yeah. the, the cruising type uh, yeah. knock out the ground type mid uh, defender that Van Dijk is albeit he's not Van Dijk yeah no I think you're right like uh, just to go just to go away from that for a split second it, it, it's, a, it's obviously shocking timing because with Matt did back I was thinking that's probably our best centre-back partnership and, in, and our best spell um, over the last year or two, is, I think, has been with them two together. So, typical Matthew's back and now Van Dijk's gone. But I would agree, especially after Gomez's performance against Villa, which is exceptionally poor, alongside other players, no doubt, um, I think Fabinho will be a favourite and he will be probably part of that def- uh, central defensive partnerships over the next few months. And uh, we have enough central midfielders anyway, so... The fact that we never replaced um, Lovren, we're, we're very limited in our centre-half. So uh, it's a good job, poor old um, Daniel Cleary's not there. Otherwise, your man to clean him out again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave, or, or Peter. Peter, should players be punished after games? Pickford wasn't punished. The, the Premier League said that the ref had seen it. So if the ref had seen it, should the referee then be held accountable and, and be punished? Because it was... Definitely a, a, a ridiculous challenge. Obviously a dangerous challenge. It could have been even worse. It could, it could have been, you know, a lot worse. Uh, broken legs and, and what have you. It could have been a career ender. Uh, no more so than Richarlison, which we'll talk about a, a little later. But someone should be accountable here, shouldn't they? Are the Premier League copping out? Yeah, I think they are, actually. Um, um, I'll go along with your first point, Roy. I think really... You know, the referee really should, to be fair, be totally accountable for it. I mean, all right, you, you can sit down and say, well, how on earth didn't see that? I, I don't know. But look, at the end of the day, in anybody's book, that was a, a shocking challenge, it has to be said. Um, you know, the Pickford comes out, the, the, the feet are raised. I mean, you're right. It was Okay, it's bad enough having Virgil van Dijk's injury as it is now, but you're right, Roy. It could have been extremely worse by far and away. I mean, it, as you said, it quite right. It could have even been a career-threatening injury. For, you know, thank goodness it doesn't appear that way. But at the end of the day, yes. Um, no, I, 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 I honestly feel, and I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that, you know, further action hasn't been, isn't going to be taken, which, which to me I just think is... Uh, I'd say scandalous, but it it, it it just doesn't seem right. You know, it's it's <laughs> uh, what is happening with football at the moment. You know, what, what's happening with all these uh, ridiculous decisions and everything else, etc. It's just it's you know, football isn't going forward, in my opinion. Boy, I think it's going backwards than anything else. And and when players, to be honest, can get away with appalling tackles, which it was, it has to be said, uh, like that, then. T- to me, I think there's got to be something wrong with the game. You know, the, the powers that be have got to look at these situations. They've got to clamp down, uh, firstly, on players, yes. Secondly, that, that they've got to have referees be analysed at the end of the day as well, in particular. And, uh, you know, whether you're a top referee, so-called, or in fairness, probably not quite as a top referee, you should still be in a position where a situation like that, you shouldn't just turn around and you know, I'd say, I'd say turn a blind eye to it, but literally do nothing about it. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was, it was shocking. It, you know, and I haven't yet spoke to anybody who's turned around and said, "Well, I, I picked, but it, it was momentum and everything else." And realistically, that you know, he couldn't stop himself. And da, da, da. But look, I, you know, I, I'm not saying Jordan Pickford went out there to to deliberately injure. He, uh, no, he certainly didn't. But at the end of the day. Uh, you know, whatever angle you look at the situation like that, how on earth, you know, no car was produced is to me just absolutely baffling and absolutely astonishing. Yeah, Dave, it's not just, and I, I do believe that the, the, the Premier League, the FA, whoever it is, 
they have sort of copped out. They've hidden behind the fact that, well, you know, uh, the referee didn't see it, what have you. But the referee, both, or the referee did see it, so it, it wasn't anything. But there was two referees. There's the, the VAR as yeah. well. And VAR is there for a, a very good reason, to spot the things that the referee misses. So what is the point in having VAR if instances like this don't get punished? And then they're, then they're copping out themselves afterwards. Uh, so does this mean that, you know, if you can get away with it on the pitch, then uh, all good? Yeah, like, and, and I suppose that's the one, hopefully in this instance comes to be the beginning of the banging of the drum of what's been said a little bit, but not really hammered home week in, week out. And that's, Let's face it, lads, the poor officiate between the referees and the guys who are sitting in the trucks. And the guys who are sitting in the trucks are referees as well. And then the kind of backing of them as well. It's, it's shocking. And even the refs that to be on BT or Sky or whatever afterwards, they're justifying every decision that's made. Instead of putting your hands up once in a while and go, yeah, the lads have dropped the ball here and dropped the ball badly. Um, like during the game, I was more concerned about whether Liverpool were going to get a penalty or not, to be honest, because you could see it was a blatant tackle. So I was kind of like, oh crap, I think he's outside, so we're not going to get it. And I, I didn't really pay too much attention to whether it should have been a red or not. But after the game, the the old ref's name, his name is Walton. I don't know whether it's Peter or Walton. He was on BT, so he kind Peter of explained Walton. it. Yes, yeah. Peter Walton, yeah. He basically explained that, yes, even though it was offside or even though there was other, it was technically not uh, um, dealt with immediately, they could have sent him off a reckless, uh, player, they, 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 it is in the rules, but it was a blatant one where, especially with VAR, that's supposed to be there to, to help, and it's in the name. It's this where, listen, uh, Michael, I think you need to go over and have a look at this. This this looks bad, and I need you to make the decision, but go over and have a look. But it was, as they said, it was ignored, and it was something that he could have dealt with and didn't. Now, listen, I'll agree with Peter. It was just, a, it was reckless. That's all it was, blatantly reckless. I'd say he had no intention of, of doing the player, but. Uh, I think this is what we need to look at more now, and it's the blatant poor officiating that's been so consistent since the ARs come in. And if anything, it's just highlighting it more because they're getting second and third and fourth opportunities to bloody look at these situations, and they're still bottling. So I'm I'm very confused, and and another obvious blatant bad day at the office in relation to officiating and and, and VAR. And it shows you it doesn't matter how good the technology is it still comes down to humans yeah. and and, ref- and referees <laughs> yeah. having to look at it and if you've got rubbish referees uh, who make rubbish decisions no matter what you yeah. have there uh, straight in front of their face they're going to make terrible decisions and, and that's uh, mm. continued on uh, even in a little box room with 100 televisions and and uh, four or five replays and all the and all the and all the many replays as well they actually show one of them where um Michael Oliver has a cracking view of the tackle in the first place. So he can't say there was no one in his way. Like So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, a head-scratcher in the end. I wasn't privy to the exact rule at the time of the game, but once well, Peter Walton explained afterwards, um, yeah, the, the fact that these guys should know and should know them very well should have dealt with it accordingly. Yeah. I'll tell you another thing, guys. Also, you know, Michael Oliver, to be fair, is probably one of the best. Yeah. You know, the best referee in inverted commas, uh, in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, and th- now that's got to be a worrying fact, isn't it? If a guy like that, you know, comes out with something, well, it makes errors like that. You know, everyone's got to yeah. be worried because to be fair, under normal circumstances, he is an outstanding referee. Peter, Richardson got sent off at the end of the game. It's, it deserves more than a red card. Yeah, again, it was a, you know, okay, we're talking about the, you know, Pickford tackle, true, but you're right, 100%. I mean, for a start, you know, the player couldn't complain at all whatsoever. Uh, The good bit, if anything, to come out of it, at least the referee got that one right, didn't he, (laughs) to be honest? Yeah, but unlike unlike Pickford, Peter, Richardson meant it. And it was dis- yeah, it was did. a disgusting yeah, challenge. Yeah, like he 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 had no care for how he uh, might have injured Thiago, wasn't it? No, absolutely. I was going to say that, Roy. Yeah, absolutely right. You're one hundred percent right. You know, Pickford, as we said, was reckless. But as I said, he certainly didn't mean it. But obviously, the other side of it, uh, Ricardson definitely meant that. I mean, you can see it. And and I think what was a bit, of, well, I say worried more than anything was afterwards he's come out with this so-called apology, didn't he? You know, basically saying, "Well, I'm not that type of a character, and I didn't really mean to do anything like that." Which, uh, 
I think really and truthfully, or I suppose it's like covering up your tracks, so to speak. But I mean, to me, that was just a ridiculous thing to come out with and say anyhow. But you're right, Roy. I mean, he certainly meant it. it, it, it all right. I mean, it, it, it was that sort of a game where there was a few niggles and everything. I mean, to be fair, you'd expect that with a Merseyside derby, as, as you highlighted earlier. Both sides started the season off well. You know, everybody had everything to prove. But at the end of the day, tackles like that one in particular, let's face it, you know, you, you don't want to see tackles like that in the game full stop. It's as simple as that. No matter what player it is or who, what side it is, it's as simple as that. Tackles like that, Roy, I think more than anything, they've got to be stamped down on. And again, this is where the authorities should come in. And, and for instance, you know, to me, you, you've got to give somebody like Rick Carlson more than a free game ban. It's as simple as that. Yep, uh, it's a bit like the, the the diving scenario where you know there's no retrospective action on people who are diving. There's no retrospective action on on generally a lot of things and people and, and the, yeah. I think they're afraid to, yeah. to do something about the diving situation. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure why. It annoys me. It bothers me that people dive and it's not even it's not even ones where you get penalties it's it's ones around the middle of the pitch where you, you get booked there has to be something that where there's some sort of system that if if people feel that you're you're diving that there's a mark against you somewhere and if you accumulate those marks up you get a your match ban or something because this diving where someone gets a, 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 I don't know maybe a, a hand on the side of the face and or on the side of the chest and, and they're holding their chin and they're rolling around the place and it does my nut in really I, 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 you nearly they deserve actually to get the thump that they, they're pretending that they, they, they've received so I'm not sure if they'll ever do anything about that but that's 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 as Dave would say that's what grinds my gears Um <laughs> Dave, we'll just finish off on on the, on the football side of things. The goals, Mane's goal, well worked goal down the wing with Robertson. You can see the lack of presence for Keane's equaliser uh, with Van Dyke just gone off. Yeah. Salah's goal had quality written all over it, and Calvert Lewin yeah. had a Ronaldo esque type leap and finish. It was, it was a it was a brilliant goal, and in, in fairness, the game was a really really good game. Yeah, hundred percent. As 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 we kind of briefly ch- chatted at the very start, it was actually an, an eventful game because obviously I've, I've seen plenty of them over the last few years, and a lot of them can be very very poor or very rarely. And I'm not saying it in a smug way, but one sided towards Liverpool, so they haven't necessarily been a great spectacle for the neutral. But obviously, we've been probably talking about this for about twenty minutes, probably the longest we've talked about any game this year. So it goes to show you, yes, there's been controversy, but there was also bloody good football as well. Um, so overall, you'd have to give it a, a thumbs up for a great game of ball, but obviously got married by some silly decisions, including, now don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not bitching about it because it's exactly the way it's been done all, over the last season and a bit. But the same thing with the very last minute goal where Liverpool thought they had it done and dusted, where it was a sleeve or the bend of an elbow. Um as much as I I seen it and it was level, I was like, oh, it's level, happy days. And then all of a sudden I went, ah, oh, crap, that red line looks like it's slightly ahead of the blue line. Ah, shite. And of course, it is what it is. So look, the only thing that's consistent, I don't know if they can do anything about it and make things a little bit simpler because straight away I thought of the, the poor Sheffield United players against Spurs last year where it was like maybe not even the distance of a toenail where you go, come on, there has to be some kind of a, a leeway. But it, it, it just kind of was the... The, the cherry on the cake of what was an incredibly eventful game of football. Yeah, and as I, I said, I, I wrote up on on the uh, the big kickoff uh, group page on Facebook. It really needs to be daylight between players to be to be offside. They need mm. to change that rule. When did level ever become offside? I I, I don't know how all this yeah. is changing. Even the benefit of due to the hack inside as well. There could be. I don't know, like, there's no reason why they can't get some match geniuses and stuff like that to kind of come in and get involved and, and, and kind of a, and come to some kind of agreement of a set distance. Because like I said, the Sheffield United one was was just as bad as this. And I'm not bitter the fact that we dropped two points. I'm just annoyed that this is still going on over over the last year or so. But I can get over it because at least it's consistent with, with, with every other game. But surely... um. Somebody said it the other day, and, and, and Peter can, can agree with me a little bit, I suppose, especially in relation to cricket, because the umpire makes the decision 
and then sometimes they go to the video and they kind of go, we can't, it's inconclusive, so we're going to stick to the original umpire's decision. So why yeah. can't the, the linesman, you do your bloody job, you put the flag up as soon as you think it's offside, we'll, we'll hammer home the rules that the players the players play on no matter what, and if they stop, it's their own fault. But if they had a played on that, the linesman kept his flag down, and this is one of these tight ones where, listen, lads, it's literally it's too small. We'll stick to the original linesman's decision. Now, I'm not saying just for this one, but just for just as a general rule of thumb, maybe moving forward. Like there's ways of going around this, but maybe kind of because I think the linesmen are being told at the moment to keep the flag down if they're unsure and they let VAR look over. I'm not exactly sure how the rule goes, but they're told to play on anyway. But maybe, I don't know. They, they, may, they may look at it, but I don't want to sound like I'm a kind of a bitter Liverpool fan this, this, this week. It's just one of them where you do feel sorry for the attacking side. I think it's fine to no, I think it's fine to sound like a bitter Liverpool fan because I think there has... Gen- <laughs> no, but I think there has genuinely been a bitter every team fan so far who've got bitten by VAR now yeah. and I don't yeah. think people enjoy it and they don't and they don't like it and if there was the decision was with offside that there had to be clear daylight well then that would be the easiest yeah. thing in the world for VAR to pick up I, I tell you very, very quickly that, that you, you talk about, I know Dave mentioned about this, you know, this ruling with linesman, assistant referee, whatever, putting their, uh, you know, now they can't put their flag up, can they? They have to wait, apparently. Uh, okay. That isn't helping the game, is it? That, you know, that's not helping players. It's not helping anybody, is it? Uh, to me, that's got to be changed. Yeah, I, yeah, and it's again another stupid rule. I know why they did it. Play yeah. on, and then if he is offside, he scores the goal. And if he wasn't offside, then you you get the goal. And I totally understand that, but you know, just keep it simple. Don't keep making it so complicated. <laughs> Anyhow, listen, this this is something that we could do on a podcast on its own. Um, <laughs> Jose Mourinho. Even today, must be scratching his head at how West Ham clawed back three goals in the last 10 minutes or so to gain a point at the weekend. Peter, can you put a finger on what happened? Well, uh, uh, yeah, I tell you, I I, I blame Gareth Bell for coming on because uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think everything was centred around Bell. No, 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 seriously. Um, well, look, Roy, it's happened before, remember? Spurs are blind leads. Um, it's, it, this isn't anything new, it has to be said. No, it's a mentality thing, isn't it, really? Um, but yeah, I mean, look, you know, they were cruising, weren't they? They were absolutely cruising, wasn't it? 3-0 after about 16 minutes. But <laughs> the nature of this Premier League this season, all of a sudden, no matter if a team looks dead and buried, if they get a goal back, which obviously West Ham did, and then all of a sudden they back it up uh, with, with another goal, then of course they're right back in this, aren't they? But having said that, I mean it was an absolutely sensational strike that won it, wasn't it? You know, Lanzini's effort in about was it the ninety fourth minute, absolutely brilliant. You know, if that's ever going to win a game, or at least try and get, I mean, yeah. West Ham will say they probably felt like a win, which it did really. It, you know, it did really feel like a win, although it ended being a draw. I know, but I mean, West Ham will claim that as being a victory, understandably. So if that is the case, you know, what a strike, but. Again, you know, this is Tottenham's problem, isn't it? Uh, you know, time and time again, they look very good going forward, but at the back, they still look very, very shaky. Now, you know, Mourinho, has he really worked with this defence? I don't think he has. Uh, as I said before, this has happened before, remember. I think you'll find they blew a big lead, was it against Newcastle, I think, if my memory serves me correct as well. Uh, same situation, you know, conceded sloppy goals. They seem to think that a game has been won, which, all right, yes, officially, technically, it should have been won. But at the end of the day, you know, you've still got to concentrate. You've still got to uh, all play a part. And uh, as I said, I, I, I don't honestly think it helped by bringing Bale on. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't mean that sort of sarcastically. I mean, it's great to see Gareth Bale in action. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it isn't. But at the end of the day, I just think from that moment, you know, Tottenham just seemed to switch off. They just felt that the game was won. And and as I explained before, you know, West Ham, to their credit, they came out a much better side in the second half. They got that goal, or admittedly late on, but even at 3-1, you know, all of a sudden you get another one. And as I said, 3-2, the momentum swung right the way back to West Ham. 
and Tottenham in the end just wanted the final whistle to happen. Whereas obviously after the first half, that would not have been the case. Yeah, did you did you work with the Spanish press or, or, or in Madrid? Poor old Gareth Bale comes back. He comes on fourteen minutes to go. <laughs> they're winning three 0 He's up the other end of the pitch and he's getting blamed for losing or losing the game three <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, but no, I, I, yeah, no, I don't mean it that way, Roy. But yeah, could it be? A, no, could it be think... the sense that we were talking about before with the? Fans not there, and normally when you, the fans aren't yeah. there, the, the opposition yeah, yeah, fans yeah. are chanting, cheering. Absolutely. It's it's a little bit more <laughs> sort of it keeps the fans going, and if they get a little lackadaisy, sports get a little lackadaisy. The fans let them know about it, and the West Ham fans are booing it. You know, <laughs> the, there there is a big influence there with fans, isn't there? Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. Roy. Sorry, Peter. Sure, Roy. Yeah. Did any of you see? One of New Zealand's tries yesterday when they had a full house in front of forty-seven thousand against Australia yesterday. No, I think yes. his name. He's a new star. His name is Clark or is it Cole? Uh, Peter, sorry, Do you know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes in this crazy run, Roy, and <laughs> you can see the half of it's from pure adrenaline of the crowd, and he's been taken down, and it must be get the play must be over, but somehow he gets up and he goes again, and he goes again, and then offloads it, and then they get a great try, and you're kind of going if the if the if the stadium was empty, I'd say that first tackle, that would have been it and the play would have been over, so to speak. So it has to, the, the longer this goes on, it definitely shows the influence that having a crowd there and fans, um, it, there's definitely a percentage loss in performance. It has to be um, in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Dave, Harry Kane is shown as class, not only in scoring goals, but with some unbelievable assists in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, like that's that's a, that's my biggest no for this one. Uh, Spurs and West Ham, like that, the can comeback does take the kind of a, a gloss off Harry Kane's performance. He's been superb. I think the ultimate reason, obviously, is the fact that his run of games now he must be just kind of getting to peak fitness and sharpness. But it's not just a goal scorer, and we all know how good of a finisher he is. But he's picking up some fine assists as well. He seems to be dropping into the pockets at the right time, especially now that they have. Kind of son in, in great form, and now Bergwijn on the right, and potentially the likes of Bale, where these guys can kind of pick in. Like when Kane comes, he they can go forward and pick up the the the, the holes where he's leaving. But when he gets it deep, he becomes a, a solid provider. But a, a very impressive display yesterday. And obviously, if he had it hit the post, it would have been four nil, and Lanzini's chance might never have come. But that's the typical fine margins. Of, of sport um, but yeah just it takes a little bit of a, a shine off his performance but let's not forget it was superb and West Ham seven points in the board beat Wolves beat Leicester now yeah. drawn against Tottenham they're not going to maybe not going to struggle as much as they did last year it looks like there's a bit of fight about them and maybe Maybe Moyes deserves a little bit of credit, even though he wasn't there for the other yeah. two games. But maybe deserves a bit, a little bit of credit for maybe what he's yeah. putting together. Exactly, and that kind of a game as well, and that kind of a comeback could just be the catalyst to everyone come in together. And 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 this is the 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 the, the game that really gets the wheels in motion, and they back him, he backs them, and all of a sudden they go on a nice little run, and things are a lot more rosy. And just one little stat because we all love one. West Ham were the first team in Premier League history to avoid defeat in the game, having trailed by three or more goals as late as the 81st minute. So there you go, first yesterday. Uh, and yeah, uh, unbelievable. It's it's great to see the scenes and, and a bit of a, as I said, a bit of a pile on at the end. A bit of atmosphere, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of greed lately, Peter, in the Premier League. And when you looked at the Project Big Picture, which uh, was led by Manchester United and, and Liverpool trying to change the whole face of of English football, basically looking, basically a couple of American owners looking to take all the money in and destroy the rest of the football league. And then you look at you look at Sky Sports and uh, BT looking for fourteen ninety five for to watch a match that only a couple of months ago you, you could watch for free and there's some fans out there who have season tickets for their club they're, they're purchasing Sky Sports yeah. they're purchasing BT they're paying probably over you know close to 130 or 40 pounds a month and they still can't get to see their team I read somewhere apparently the television companies or certainly BT Sport turned around and said it, it isn't our 
decision at all. It was the actual Premier League's decision, but no, I don't know if that is the case or not. Probably not, but there you go. Um, no, it, it, as I said, it, it's, it's just total greed, isn't it, really? I mean, and let's face it, if you ended up having to play, what was it, 14.95 to watch West Brom and Burnley earlier on, I think you'd be demanding your money back. Uh, uh, literally taken for a ride. Um, yeah, look, uh, what I can't get my head around is the Premier League keep on about this fact that, well, look, you know, we've got to get money in because uh, we're losing money. Well, yeah, because every league's losing money. You know, EFL are losing a huge amount of money. Non-league football is, is in a desperate situation at the moment. So why is the Premier League still pleading this business about, well, you know, well, we're also having to lose big amounts of money. That's why we want fans uh, who at least can say, well, we've, we can see the game and it can be streamed. Uh, even at fourteen ninety five, we still got to get money uh, out of their pocket. Uh, having, as you said quite rightly, spent a huge amount of money on Sky Sports subscriptions per year, BT Sport, other organisations uh, uh, subscriptions as well. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it's it's the same old thing, Roy. It's it's the money and it's the greed side of it, and and the poor old genuine football fan. And I underline the word genuine football fan. Uh, that they're the ones who are being kicked in the teeth, aren't they? Uh, and it happens, you know, year in, year out, etc. All right, we, we know at the moment everyone's going through difficult times and, and we are in a world where everything is changing all the time and, and you know, viewing uh, styles are completely changing as well and how long fans are going to be eventually allowed back into a stadium. Who knows? It could be a huge amount of time for that. And perhaps the only way forward will be by streaming games, but for six months, or I remember, um, a lot of these games were free to view, weren't they, at the end of the day? Uh, uh, so, you know, why all of a sudden do they come up with this business of, well, yeah, and now we've got to get around it, and quite simply, all we're going to do is charge the poor old punter, the guy who loves his football, the genuine football fan, uh, you know, almost £15 to watch certain games that, yeah, you know, okay, they can't put on or they can't schedule, but six months ago they could schedule. And to me, I just think it's totally wrong. Dave, what did you make of uh, the Manchester United and Liverpool lead on trying to, in my opinion, dismantle the whole football pyramid over in England? Too true, but take a little look at it for a second. Apparently, reading all the reports, there's, this has been about three years in the making, of which they've all to, well, maybe just them two in particular, the clubs, but it's it's been in the process of talking. I wouldn't be surprised if the whole power share, the six the six votes slash nine votes was the was the red herring of the whole proposal. And this is not me trying to wind people up. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the red herring and, and in the in the sense that if we pull this off it's the steel of the century, but let's put this in, they'll all lose their shit basically and we'll get in what we really will want to put up with which is this obviously I think is the 18 teams is the be able to the, the real money makers as in the extra long potentially uh, money spinning uh, pre-season breaks the eight matches that they can kind of um, sell themselves because that's what the Barcelona and Real Madrid that's the ultimate reason why they're making their own money now is because they have their own TV rights more so than anyone else. So I'm not saying that's exactly what they were going for. And if it was, I'm glad it's been shot down. But I just wouldn't be surprised if there was a bit of a, let's put it in. And then if somebody's stupid enough to sign this off, they're idiots. But if not, let's get what we really, really ultimately want. Because by all intents and purposes, from two or three different reports I read, they, the Glazers and the FSG are very fond and love the pyramid scheme, love the four leagues that it's not just an elite league as they have in American sports so it's very easy for us to moan and bitch about them because in this current climate that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to moan and give out about everything but I just have a sneaky feeling that was the the, the thing to get the tongues wagging and they end up getting what they really want because slowly but surely it's the TV rights and Europe and freeing up more calendar space I think it's the big thing not necessarily being the main decision makers in English football yeah, well, at the moment they're getting nothing really from it, uh, just a bit of headlines, and uh, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how it all develops. But I don't think, I think uh, any clubs that vote in something like that 
or anything like that uh, needs their head examined because uh, it wasn't too long ago since Manchester City were down in, in League One or uh, any of the big mm-hmm. boys, you know, who leads United or whatever, you know. So you need to be careful what you wish for in these situations, I think. Just on that one, Dave, they're looking also to try and introduce B teams into the lower leagues. Is that something that you'd like to see? For me personally, I don't think I want to see that. I don't think I want to see where Manchester United's, Manchester City's, Liverpool's and all are, are putting teams in that it won't really mean anything if you know what I mean uh, you know into the yeah. first division or the, the championship I mean League 1 League 2 where it means everything to the Tranmere's and uh, you know Accrington Stanley's and uh, even Sunderland's it means everything for them to try and hit the pinnacle yeah. the dream is there but with B teams I know they keep saying it works over in Spain what's your thought? Um, I'm not Was I, was, I don't think that was in the big picture proposals though was I? I think that was more Ferran Serrano who was uh, the Man City, uh, I don't know exa- his exact role. I think it's more him because obviously he's coming from the Barcelona model where that's it's kind of par for the course. So I'm not sure if it was in the exact big picture one, but no, I completely disagree with it. I just think it'd be another useless tool to, to bash the Premier League teams with and once again, them using their muscle as usual. Uh, but yeah, if it, if it means at the detriment of clubs that are already there, absolutely not. There's no point in another fifth league. It's, it, it is what it is. We all are on the same level. Y'all, y'all have reserves. You've under 23. You've underage. If you, you know, you, it, it's another it's another excuse to be able to buy another 20 or 30 players and farm them and make money and just turn it more capital mark for the big boys. Um. So in, in who's proposed it, I'm certainly against it. That's for sure. Peter, how would that be seen over in England? I know the big teams, the, maybe the fans of the big teams would be, you know, <laughs> interested in that. How would people in England in the in the smaller towns uh, look at that? Well, they wouldn't like it, Roy, because, look, the, the English Football League has been around for a, a huge amount of time, well over 100 years. And it, it's tradition, you know, it, like, you know, you talk about Tramiers, Rotherham's, Bolton's, Wigan's, a lot. It, <laughs> If you were up against, I don't know, a Manchester City under 23 or a Liverpool under 23 or an Arsenal under 23, any premiership side under 23, it, it just wouldn't work. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it, you know, I just sincerely hope it would never, ever happen. And I don't think it will happen, to be perfectly frank with you. Who wants, no disrespect to these sides, but who generally wants to go and watch a a Manchester City under 23, and also a Tottenham under 23. Just remember, in the EFL trophy, uh, the premiership sides do have under 23 sides that actually play in this. And I can tell you now, the crowds at the time when people were allowed into grounds were absolutely awful. They were appalling crowds. You know, you'd be lucky if you get 100, 150. So that just proves the appeal of it as well. And if you had that in a league structure... It, it, to me, it just it just wouldn't work at all. I mean, it, you know, can, can you imagine? I don't know. Say football league one, and it, at the end of the season, it's won by uh, Arsenal's under twenty three side. It, it just wouldn't sound the same. It wouldn't. It, it just wouldn't work at all, in my honest opinion. And I don't think anybody, whether it be in clubs, uh, fans, anybody, especially in, in this country that I've spoke to, nobody is in favour of it at all whatsoever. I just think it's a ridiculous proposal. Yeah, and you probably have two the top two divisions full of Manchester United's, Liverpool's, <laughs> Arsenal's, uh, albeit they're 23 in a championship situation, so it really wouldn't favour anyone at all. Bar. And I don't even think it would favour the top teams because those games would be meaningless, so... What would the whole purpose of it be? So, yeah, it's hopefully, hopefully that's just it's something that never ever develops, and uh, you you have the 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 beauty of a, of a community situation, and I've seen it over, and I know Burnley in the, in the Premier League, but I've seen it over in Burnley being at games over there, and it's just it town it's there's a buzz around it, it keeps it alive. There's a dream in the town; people can dream together. Arsenal under twenty three is won't have a following you know so it's just it's killing it'd be killing the league Dave Man United won away to Newcastle 4-1 uh, 
we can't say it's it's not surprising because you don't know what Manchester United's going to be out there. But it was a it was an interesting starting lineup with the likes of uh, Van de Beek still on the bench, Pogba on the bench, uh, Alex Tellez comes in and and sits on the bench. So it was it was interesting to see the lineup. Absolutely, especially when one of the forgotten men, Juan Mata, started. And in fairness to him, I'll give it to him. He 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 shone. He he played a good game, and he still had a bit of legs in the tank. So very much they dominated the ball. Very much they own possession, and it looked like it was only going to go one way. Obviously, it looked like it might play out into a bit of a draw, and they get sick that they couldn't get the get the, the the job done. But who cares if it's in the last few seconds or uh, slow and steady throughout the whole game? They they got the result. I think they deserve, but. And a, a definitely a tip of the cap to Juan Mata and, and here's another little jewel of a staff here. Mata has been directly involved in nine goals against Newcastle in the Premier League. Uh, he has uh, four goals and five assists and he has uh, was it against no other side has he had a hand in more. Uh, he has also nine, he's also been involved in nine goals with Norwich but no one else so it's a, maybe the statisticians in the offices did their job for a change, but a job well done for him. And listen, they got the result, but made slightly hard work of it, but pretty much a, a, a decent performance, especially considering the, what happened before, a bit similar to Liverpool, especially what happened before the international break. Peter, the Champions League starts this week, and from what we believe, Harry Maguire has been left out of the squad travelling to Paris. Is well, he just rotating the squad because yeah. Europe is there trying to keep it as fresh as possible? Yes, true. I mean, you're right, because remember now, as you say quite rightly, we're into the Champions this week, and of course the, the, the fixtures now start coming thick and fast, week in, week out. So I suppose he's possibly got that, he's got one eye on that, as you say. I mean, that is what a squad system's all about, remember, as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, but possibly that is the reason why. Um, perhaps he feels he wants to just give him a bit of a break, give him a rest, you know, um, uh, who who can tell? We'll have to wait and see. Well, it, it'd be interesting to see if he does play in the next Premier League match that, that, that Manchester United have got, which I'm not too sure who they're up against next. But um, it'd be interesting to see that more than anything. Yeah, yeah. And with Pogba starting on the bench, and Dan James and Mata, Fred and McTominay starting at the weekend. It, it, pro- it probably does look like squad rotation. And mm. again, though, Dave, Pogba's going to have to step up at some stage or really just forget about him because yeah, everyone else seems to be working hard in that team, trying to do their best. You look at Dan James and he, he, all about guts and effort and, and what have you. Things may not go well for him, but he, he'll never stop. You can, just can't say the same for, for Paul Pogba, can you? Oh, 100%. And it's sticking out like a sore thumb, especially when you have even the likes, as I said, Man Mata coming in and doing a job and he hasn't been around for a long time. You obviously have Fernandez who's starring for the side, so to speak, as well at the minute. And then, as you said about Dan James, like eventually people and fans, well, more so, not people, but fans want to see them type of players because they know they're going to give it everything. Well, with Pogba, he seems to do it when he wants. Um, and unfortunately, he's one of them players. He's, he's good enough to, he, that he can turn it on but it's just the level of consistency and that won't wash at the very 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 top we can all pretend and I definitely will pretend because I don't have an opinion of him from Italian football because I didn't see enough of it but a lot of people pretended how good he was I think because they obviously didn't watch enough because I refuse to believe he was that good over in Italy I, I'll, I'll just I'll just take it for granted that it's easy to say when we can't I'm not, I'm not interested in looking at the archives but I'd be shocked if if, if, if he had a uh, at that level of a performance and, and to warrant the fee that he's come back to because he hasn't done it enough showed little typical not typical but common to a lot of modern day footballers do enough show the flashes keep them relevant at the right time but deep down I don't think they want to roll up their sleeves and, and leave a, a true legacy in the game when it's all over they can look back at the bank account and say I've done well but not necessarily I've done well for my team you know do you think he was carried in the World Cup? Everyone t- saying how brilliant he was with, with France, but there were so many brilliant players around him. Do you think that he was kind yeah. of he was their luxury player and he'd do some good things and when, when things are getting a little bit tough, we'll carry him, but he'll do good things for us? Yeah, there, there, there easily could be an element of that. It's very hard to go and just 
turn the brain on and look back in the archives of my head. But he, he was one of the stars as well, and I thought he performed well. But you could be, there could be an element of that if you look back without a shadow of a doubt. But he also did play well, and he was one of the guys. He was like I would I would I wouldn't argue against you, um, in in saying that he wasn't carried. But I think it was just a good collective team that they were all on the same page, and he he was just one of the stars of the show and not the main star. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's, like we only talked about it with Ireland last week. You can't live off performances from several years ago it's 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 on your last game and so far his last game his last game before that and and before that again have been poor yeah and he did in all fairness he's probably still not being played in his right position he is attacking midfielder mm. he is i mean i think yeah. with juventus he played on the left hand side as in a left hand side of a front three so he was an attacking player and a creating player and Solskjaer mm. insists on playing him in the midfield too kind of in a sitting role getting on the ball building up the play just because of his ability uh, his passing ability but it, yeah. it doesn't suit him he needs to be doing yeah. stuff around the edge of the box yeah he doesn't have the discipline for that role because as much as the attacking side of it you can see why he might be in there sitting in the pocket being a bit of a quarterback but he he won't have the discipline to concentrate for 90 minutes to make sure he plugs in the gaps of somebody who is the anchor in, in, the, in the midfield um, and as you said, the attacking side of it is where he's best at, and that's where they should play to his strength. So you either play to his strength or you don't play him at all. But don't try and fit him in where I think quite where quite quick, Jesus, quite clear that he won't fit that role, and I don't think he'll adapt to it either. Last one on this, Dave, is Solskjaer the man for the job? Uh, he's had plenty of time now. Oh. If you were, if you were, you're obviously looking from the outside of a, of as in not a yeah. Manchester United fan. What would you do if you were the owners of Manchester United? Yeah, like I'm, I'm for giving managers plenty of time. Um, a lot of talk about Fernandez you know, not happy with the dressing room, not happy with the mentality. Yeah, cranking up, already. you know, uh, not happy to saying the Solskjaer. This is the word coming yeah. out, not exactly him coming out and saying it, but saying the Solskjaer is too soft on certain players, and you know, basically when that asking happens, for more. Right. Yeah, when that happens, and it happened, what? How how, how long is 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 Solskjaer in the job? It happened roughly about two or three months previous from when he started, and and even the preseason where the the press uh, were starting to get the stories of uh, of the atmosphere in the camp under Mourinho, and it wasn't too long before he was gone. So is this the start of the slow process where there's stories of players not being happy and this and the other? And once that kicks off, it it makes it very very difficult for him. And you almost have to be near perfect, and there will be pressure on them because they backed them. Um, they can't say that they haven't. Um, they've given him plenty of money. He's paid eighty million for a defender who's inconsistent for whatever reason or another. He hasn't quite been the fulcrum of the team the way you would expect somebody uh, of that fee. And then obviously the Pogba situation, he's still not getting a tune out of him. Um, and this year he's been very strange in some of his selections. So. He's kind of leaving himself a bit open there if it doesn't work out for him quite soon. And especially with these stories with Fernandez, you do be a bit fearful uh, for him. But I do believe in giving managers time. But his time might start getting very, very thin if uh, if results don't get to a decent... Like, put it this way, the way the season finished last year, he needs to get back to that level soon. Otherwise, yeah, you could be looking at... He could be in the mix for to be, be gone before maybe even Christmas and then a, another run in the second half yeah I think he needs to stay in touch with that top four position get the top four yeah. position I mean that's really what they're looking at in, in the league and having a good run in the Champions League and if he does that mm. he might get that extra year then just to keep building on what he's building but if he falls behind at all during this year he he may not get that uh, chance to scrape it back like he did yeah. last year Peter Aguero Manchester City won one nil against Arsenal a game that I thought might have a couple of goals in it, but 1-0. But Aguero was uh, under fire over a shocking incident, as the newspapers call it, from uh, assistant referee Sian Massey-Ellis. What did you make of, of that? Yeah, um, well, look, first of all, anybody will tell you when you're playing football, you, you can't go up to an official, whether it's a referee, assistant referee, whoever, and touch them, and and that's exactly what he did, wasn't it? Really, uh, all right. You, you, you can you know you can look at it and say, well, 
all right, he went up and put his arm basically around her. I mean, he wasn't physically strangling her or anything at all like that. But at the end of the day, it is still a touch. And to be honest, no, he should not have done it. I mean, you know, all right, he was frustrated. He, he obviously didn't agree with her original decision uh, as such. But look, you still cannot touch an official. And, and it's wrong. It's as simple as that, really. So I can understand why it's upset a lot of people. Of course, understandably so now, uh, a lot of uh, women are quite rightly turning around saying, well, look, you know, this is totally and utterly wrong. And, and I, I'd go along with that by far and away. And to be honest with you, whether it's a woman or a man, it, it still makes no difference to me. You cannot, under any circumstances whatsoever, physically go up to officials and either touch them or push them. It's as simple as that. I think everyone knows the rules. You don't touch officials. That's the, that's the rule. How many times has a player put his hand on, on, on a referee's shoulder or whatever and the referee had stared him out of it, stared his arms out of it. In other words, get your hands off me. Don't. He, he shouldn't put his hands on an official. Man, woman, doesn't make a damn of a difference. Um, so should there be a, a situation that if you put your hands on the referee, that it, it should be a booking? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's as simple as, I mean... Uh... I don't even think it should be a warning. It should be a booking full stop. You know, you, you've got no reason to do something like this. So therefore, at the end of the day, to me, that would be the simple solution. But again, it goes down to officiating, doesn't it? And rules and everything else, etc. as well. But yeah, I mean, I cannot for the life of me see why, even at that situation, that, you know, that really should have happened. I, I think the referee in charge should have gone across and booked him as simple as that but he didn't uh, and uh, the debate will go on won't it as well but uh, no I go along with you I, I generally feel a card should be produced definitely yeah and in all fairness Aguero didn't do too much in the game himself he's making his return back <laughs> up front with Sterling and, and, and didn't do an awful lot in all fairness how do you assess where Man City are now at the moment Peter? I think they're beginning to get themselves back uh, to, well, the, the top of their game, I think, more than anything in particular. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think the big point over the weekend, apart from that narrow victory against Arsenal, was the fact that they won without De Bruyne playing. And, and in the past, when De Bruyne hasn't played, you've looked at them and they have struggled. And in most cases, they've dropped a lot of points. But over the weekend, to me, they did enough uh, to beat Arsenal, yes. And I do generally feel they are beginning to get themselves back on track now as well. I mean, look, all right, I, I mean, looking at the table now, you, you can turn around and say, well, yes, that they are sort of realistically, uh, you know, struggling a bit more than anything. But I, I, I still think... Roy, I think that goes without saying. I mean, at the moment, seven points from four games. Yes, by their standards, you'd have to say that isn't a good Manchester City start. But you know, uh, to be honest with you, come May, City are going to be up there. It, it goes, forget about the start of seven points over four games. Yeah, okay, they have struggled a little bit. I, I, I do go along with that, yeah. But no, I just think now, Roy, they are beginning to start getting themselves back into the side that certainly will be up there challenging. But I, again, I, I, you know, to me, I think that's a that is a big plus point by winning games without De Bruyne. Because if they can win games without De Bruyne, think what's going to happen when he does come back. Yeah, and they've got West Ham next weekend away, which would be an interesting game. Seems West Ham are and doing too bad at the moment. Uh, Arsenal, on the other hand, seem to be they're getting a little bit more stubborn. They're getting a little bit more resilient, and and they've got a tough game at home to Leicester next weekend. Um, we, we'll move on through and we'll we'll shoot through to the scores of the weekend. Chelsea, Dave, three three with Southampton. Werner and Havertz on on the score sheet, but Southampton, you know, again, an, another team who started off a little bit poorly, a bit like last year, but there's a, a resilience to them. Yeah. And, and the proof is there with, with, with Southampton. But once again, uh, all the money spent on the attacking side of things, which came to fruition at the weekend with Werner and Havertz. But once again, the, it was the defensive balls that kind of caught them out in the end again. Thiago Silva alone is not enough. And obviously, Kepa was back in. And unfortunately, he was a cause for one of them with a 
with a poor attempted block and uh, contributing to the second one. So, uh, yeah, credit where credit's due in relation to Southampton, very awkward side, but a, 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 a decent side. One of them kind of don't give them the right respect, they'll punish you, and, and rightly so is what they did again at the weekend. But no getting away from Chelsea's defensive frailties once more. And interesting, they're playing Manchester United next week in the half five game at Old Trafford. So that'll be something interesting there to 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 mm. look at. Um, Peter Leicester against Villa. Villa four out of four. It's it's definitely their year. Five thousand to one, they can do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what. If early signs are anything to go by, someone said to me yesterday, "Who's going to win this Premier League?" And I turned around and I said, "Well, no one can really defend." So to me, the side that's going to go on and win the Premier League will be the side that eventually can defend. And look, if you look at it at the moment, Aston Villa have only conceded, remember, two goals. Mm. Now, yeah, it's early yet. Yeah, and look, come May, you wouldn't expect them to be up there. No, I mean, in comparison to the season they had last season, I mean, this you know, this is uh, new territory for them as well. But to start off with four victories, and as I say, to keep only down to two goals conceded, I think that's testament to Dean Smith and the side that he's got there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a wonderful start. It, it is early yet, as we always say. There's only four games played. I know some have played five. Um, but if it, I think their resilience show, has shown immensely. I mean, you've got to remember last season, they conceded goal after goal after goal. Uh, I mean, this season, obviously, it's entirely different. They look more solid at the back as well, and, and they're playing like a side that obviously are women with confidence, as you'd expect them to be having one four on the spin as well. Uh, I suppose the real test will come, of course, when they start playing, shall we say, superior opposition later on, comes the end of the season. But look, it's a good start, and as I said, they did already, Pierre. There was that, sorry? They did already, Pierre. They did, they, they made easy work of them. Exactly. That's very true indeed. Yes, yes, I forgot about that. It's there. So you've made, oh, yeah, we didn't. You've I don't think you ever will. No, I don't think you will, will you? <laughs> oh, oh, come on, Dave. It was a one-off. Now, come on. <laughs> oh, no, please, God. Please, God. Uh, yeah, no, no. No, seriously, yeah, it's a good start. But obviously, you know, as I always say, yes, it's early days yet. Yeah, yeah be a bit real. Yeah, 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 very much so. But, but look. Look, they've only conceded two goals, and if you look down the rest of this table, I think the next best or the next, yeah, the next best conceded is six. So, you know, that's not a bad start, is it? Not a, not a bad start at all, and only twenty eight more points to safety for Villa. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Sheffield United won one with Fulham that's just a game typical game that you, you you expected it to be tight and you probably expected it to be a draw you probably could have put that down on your coupon uh, both teams looking like they're going to struggle this year Sheffield United just don't seem to have the goals in them and Fulham are Fulham West Brom Burnley nil nil. again another game and you can go alongside that with uh, Crystal Palace and Brighton and these are the teams you need to get something out of these games you can't afford to be losing so uh, the draw for Brighton and Crystal Palace I think the two of them will take that and, and of course then the last game was Wolves and Leeds United which was on tonight and Peter did you get to watch that game? Yeah I did actually uh, not much of a first Roy, to be honest with you, second half improved. Um, Leeds difficult to play against as they are. Uh, Wolves, to be fair, I think um, they probably just about shaded it. And okay, admittedly, it was a deflected goal in the end from Jimenez. But this is another turning point. I think he was lucky to stay on the pitch, Roy. To be honest with you. Yeah. He, clear, he clearly kicked. Dave obviously saw it as well. He clearly kicked out. And again, I think if that had been spotted. Another situation, why on earth wasn't that dealt with by VAR or whatever? Mm. You know, to me, it wasn't. It should have done. If it was, I think he would have been very, very lucky to have stayed on the pitch. As it, as it is, he, he, he was lucky. And of course, he ended up getting the winner uh, all, all, all by, by deflection. And in the end, it's another three points for Wolves. And uh, again, Wolves, a bit of a sticky start. But again, I'm, certainly they can build on results like this. Yeah, Dave Bamford, no, no goals tonight. Uh, rubbish player. 
Yeah, yeah. England can have my one over it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, lads, we're going to leave it there tonight. Uh, we'll be back on again next week. Talk yep. to you then.